This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Parcast Crime Bites. We wanted to give our listeners some additional content to help them dive even deeper into the true crime world. Every week, in addition to your normal female criminals episode, we're exploring the most fascinating true crime themes covered across the ParCast network. We've collected short clips from some of our most popular ParCast originals to help us explore ideas like motivation, method, and madness, and show how interconnected the true crime world really is. You can find the original episodes for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. A list of episodes that we used will be posted in the episode description. Today we're discussing revenge killings. What makes someone so vengeful they're willing to take a human life? Studies have shown that revenge really is sweet. Researchers at the University of Zurich asked study participants to play a game in which one player got to exact revenge on the other. Using an EEG, the researchers found that the areas in the brain associated with rewards and pleasure are active when someone performs a vengeful action. This, they say, is the area that is active when someone sees a food they have an intense craving for, or the feeling someone gets when they take a drug. Psychologist Mike McCullough also says our desire for revenge may serve our most primal urges. Historically, getting revenge on an enemy not only brought on those pleasure feelings, but also served as a warning to deter other enemies from attacking. While the feeling of revenge may initially feel sweet and served a purpose in historical society, McCullough says that acting on feelings of revenge today proves to be detrimental in the long run. He says that after a vengeful action, fear and paranoia sets in for the Avenger, who is waiting for their enemy to exact their own revenge. Our first clip comes from Parcast original Crimes of Passion, covering the revenge murder of Marty Thier. In 1999, Marty's wife, Michelle, discovered pornography on her husband's computer. Michelle had years of pent-up resentment toward her husband, feeling like she'd put everything on hold for his military career. And this was the last straw for her. In the face of this betrayal, Michelle became convinced Marty had done more than just look at pornography. She was sure he had had affairs and decided to take revenge. Finally, all that pent-up anger was let loose on the keyboard. She didn't need to edit her thoughts at all. They came out quick, raw, and unfiltered. As married brunette, Michelle said exactly what she wanted to say. Sexy brunette seeks rendezvous with a man. Attractive, intelligent, very sensual professional seeks regular activity partner two to three times a week for long, hot, passionate encounters. Looking for emotionally stable, very attractive, physically fit, intellectually stimulating, fun-loving man who is not going bald. 
25 to 35, Caucasian, drug and disease-free, over 6 feet tall, must live or work in Fayetteville. I turn heads. If you do too and meet all of the above requirements, let's meet for coffee and see what happens next. We'll only respond to inquiries that are interesting and stimulating. Discretion is a must. The deed was done. Michelle had turned a new corner in her life. She was going to cheat on her husband, and she was going to do it as much as she desired. Her actions could be classified as retaliatory infidelity. It covers any affair that is spawned as a result of a long-term partner's own infidelity. In other words, it's revenge. David Chester, a psychology professor at Virginia Commonwealth University, said revenge has a biological imperative. It exists to keep people from taking advantage of you, so it's protective, but it can go awry. Chester and his colleagues conducted brain scans of test subjects in response to revenge-based scenarios, including retaliatory infidelity. The results illustrated a potential link between revenge and powerful but temporary satisfaction in the brain. Chester claimed that the part of the ventral striatum or the reward region of the brain was most active when people were seeking revenge against their romantic partner. In that clip from Crimes of Passion, we heard Michelle Fear take the first steps in her revenge against her husband. But an internet dating profile was not where Michelle's wrath ended. She started an affair with a man named John Diamond, who in 2000 helped her murder her husband, Marty. Like Michelle, John was motivated to murder because of revenge. Michelle had been spinning a web of lies for quite some time, including that Marty was abusive. The night before the murder, Michelle called John and told him that Marty had raped her. There's no definitive proof this occurred, but John still wanted revenge against Marty. He killed him, believing he was avenging Michelle. Like John, our next criminal also targeted her victim because of a perceived injustice. Valerie Solanus was wrapped in a world of delusion, convinced that she'd been robbed. She decided to take back what was hers and blow away anyone who tried to stop her. Coming up, we discuss the attempted murder of Andy Warhol. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. Now back to the show. In our next clip from Female Criminals, we're looking at Valerie Solanus' attempted murder of Andy Warhol. 
Valerie was a radical feminist and author who had a history of childhood abuse. In 1967, it seemed like she was finally getting the break she was searching for. She signed a contract with Maurice Giraudia to publish a novel. This came shortly after famous American artist Andy Warhol agreed to produce her. But in reality, Warhol made no promises to do so. And when Valerie approached him to talk about the production, he put her off. In truth, he had misplaced the only copy of her play and didn't want to admit it. After weeks of getting the brush off, Valerie became convinced both Warhol and Maurice were conspiring against her, trying to steal her intellectual property. The money would have been a windfall for the perpetually broke Valerie, but she soon came to mistrust Maurice's intention. His contract with Valerie was loosely worded, and before long, she believed that this was intentional on Maurice's part, and that his right to refusal for her next two pieces meant he could claim ownership of both Valerie's play and the Scum Manifesto. Like with Warhol, Valerie's beliefs weren't entirely unfounded. Maurice had previously been known for crooked business practices. In addition to being involved in pornography in France, he cut legal corners whenever possible. But there was no evidence to suggest that he had any malicious intentions regarding Valerie. As she grew more distrustful, she turned to Warhol for legal advice. He recommended lawyers, who assured her that Maurice didn't own anything she'd written before they met, but Valerie's paranoia couldn't be reasoned with. Furthermore, as her mental health continued to decline, she began conflating Maurice and Warhol in her mind. She believed that both of them were colluding against her in an attempt to steal her work. By October 1967, Valerie was ranting to anyone who would listen about the numerous ways Warhol and Maurice had wronged her. She believed that they'd broken promises and owed her money. Valerie's deteriorating state prevented her from writing the novel she'd sold to Maurice. Because of this, she never received payment from him. The Chelsea Hotel, fed up with her missed rent payments, kicked her out. In the fall of 1967, she was living on the streets, having alienated every friend who might have taken pity on her. And Valerie continued to hound both Maurice and Warhol for the perceived theft of her intellectual property, calling them toads in her letters and calls, and swearing revenge on the both of them. Following that clip from Female Criminals, Valerie Solanas plotted her revenge. On June 3, 1968, Valerie went to the factory, Warhol Studio, and shot both Warhol and art critic Mario Amaya. Valerie immediately turned herself into police and was convicted of reckless assault with intent to harm. Valerie was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, which may have contributed to her vengeful attack. Valerie had deluded herself into thinking that Warhol and Maurice were colluding against her. According to the International Classification of Disorders, paranoid schizophrenia is often marked by delusions of persecution and suspiciousness. 
Our final clip from Parkhast Original Assassinations covers Indian bandit queen Pulan Devi. She was born in a small village confined by the caste system and the constricting reality of being female in India. Devi was sent off to be married to a man three times her senior when she was just 11 years old. After being abused by her husband for three years, Devi escaped and returned to her village. But her family rejected her, believing she was dishonoring the family by leaving her husband. They left her to fend for herself and live on the streets. When she was 17, Devi was kidnapped from the village by a gang of bandits and taken to the village of Bamai. Pulan, barely 17 years old, was taken to the upper caste village of Bemai, where her two captors locked her in a dark hut. Then, for three weeks, they systematically beat and raped her, and invited the other men of the village to do the same. Not a soul in Bemai intervened to help her. Finally, after three weeks, Sri and Lala Ram left the village to take over the gang Vikram had been leading. But the villagers still didn't move a muscle to help Pulan. Their kindness went just far enough that they turned a blind eye when a priest from a neighboring village pulled Pulan's broken body from the hut and took her home. It took her months to recover from the abuse. But the terror she'd experienced didn't turn her away from the life of banditry, even if it only seemed to promise more violence. Pulan wanted her freedom back. She wanted revenge, bloody revenge. And she knew just how she was going to get it. As she slowly recovered, Pulan started gathering a small crew of bandits to fight with her, or rather, for her. Banditry was a bustling business in the region, and after her time fighting by Vikram's side, Pulan's legend was powerful enough to establish her credibility. She would be the leader of this new band of marauders, and their first crime would be avenging her abuse. In February 1981, they were ready. They would strike on Valentine's Day. What better day to avenge rape and dehumanization? With 20 men following her, 18-year-old Pulan returned to Bamai. She didn't get the chance to murder Sri and Lala Ram since they were nowhere to be found in the village. But she followed the guidelines Vikram had taught her. Kill 20 people if you're going to kill one. Such a mass killing takes you beyond shame and even beyond fame. It would put her squarely in the realm of immortality. The 1981 St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which left over 20 young men dead, certainly ballooned the myth of Pulan to new heights around the Chambal River Valley and through all of India. Many lower caste Indians saw her as their champion, a woman who refused to be mistreated by the upper castes. In that clip from Assassinations, Pulan Devi led her gang of bandits into a massacre in Bamai, exacting revenge for the horrific abuse she had suffered there just a year prior. After serving 11 years in prison for her crimes, Devi was released and subsequently elected to parliament. 
but Davy would also become a victim of revenge. On July 26, 2001, Davy was shot and killed by three masked men outside of her bungalow. One of the gunmen, Sher Singh Rana, said that the assassination was a revenge plot because of the upper caste men Davy murdered in Bamai. All of the clips today displayed a subject so driven by anger from a perceived slight, they would resort to murder. Valerie Solanus's paranoid schizophrenia and feelings of persecution drove her revenge. Poulan Davies' years of abuse pushed her to extremely violent ends, and Michelle Thier's feelings of rejection and betrayal led her to a murderous romance. But as we saw, each suffered legal consequences, and they likely felt those negative feelings that inevitably come after retribution. Thanks for tuning in to Parcast Crime Bites. We hope you enjoyed this episode on revenge killings. We'll be back next week with a new episode on wealthy criminals. What makes someone who seemingly has everything turn to a life of crime? If you'd like to listen to the episodes we discussed today in full, simply search for our Parcast original shows, Crimes of Passion, Assassinations, or Female Criminals on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite Parcast originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. Thank you.